We live in a world that is forever changing from one day to the next. Now add to that an inner world that is forever at odds with itself. How does one accomplish anything when the only thing that is certain is uncertainty? Welcome to the Lifting with Bipolar podcast, the show designed to be an educational safe haven offering real world solutions for real world people. My name is Jonathan Sharko. Living with Bipolar One in today's world is a double-edged sword, but I'm here to work through it with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Alrighty, guys, welcome to today's episode of the Lifting with Bipolar cast. I'm your host, Jonathan Sharko, and our guest today is Heather. Uh, Heather is a very good friend of mine. We actually met through a peer-to-peer support group uh, called Reno DBSA, or Depression Bipolar Support Alliance. It's a national organization that has groups, many groups around the nation. Um, but today's topics, that would, which I'm really excited to bring on, and uh, Heather can talk about her lived experiences, is with being misdiagnosed, which is very common, especially with women who are uh, dealing with mental health disorders. Um, another topic we're going to be talking about is CPTSD. And the last one is going to be BPD, or also known as Borderline Personality Disorder. So with misdiagnosis being, being so common, and not, no, not just amongst females, but amongst males and all, and all people of all genders, I'm just curious, Heather, what has your experience and your journey been through for being misdiagnosed with a mental health condition? Okay. So how, is, how has having a misdiagnosis impacted your life? So the misdiagnosis of bipolar, um, when it should have been borderline personality disorder, it definitely impacted my life to a massive extent because I kind of lost faith in our system. Um, I lost faith in the mental health field. Like I, I really was hoping that I could find some help there, but because I was misdiagnosed, I wasn't getting the correct treatment. And so I wasn't getting better. Um, I, my depression was actually getting worse and I didn't feel like I was getting helped. So it actually worsened, um, my condition at the time. Mm-hmm. Have do you, have you met anybody else in the community, like friends online, social media, things like that? Is it pretty common in your experience to maybe stumble across somebody who's also had maybe difficulties? I know, I know for sure I have, I'm already thinking of a few people in my head who've kind of had that same feeling where just like, you know what, I don't trust doctors, I don't trust anything. Like, all it takes is one bad experience. And unfortunately, like if it starts off early in, in, the, in, the, in the mental health journey, then it really kind of um, has, that, has that kind of mask or kind of has that, I guess you could say, just point of view where they don't really trust the medical mental health field and mental health uh, practitioners. Yes, uh, it's definitely really common, I find, um, especially for borderline personality disorder. Mm. Uh, people who are BPD get misdiagnosed a lot. Um, a lot of times they get diagnosed as uh, bipolar. And yeah, it just kind of breeds um, mistrust in the system. And it's not just, you know, BPD people, it's so many others. Um, I know I had uh, one of the connections from DBSA who was initially diagnosed with depression, and then they gave um, the person antidepression medications. Mm-hmm. But that actually, as you already know, I'm sure um, it inst- it uh, inst- instigates or uh, reacts, it puts the bipolar person into a manic episode. Yes. Um, so that can be really dangerous. Um, so I feel like, I don't know, maybe I think some of it is accidental and unintentional. And then I think some of it is kind of like just that like some doctors don't really care. Like they just kind of don't care because I I know when I was initially misdiagnosed, um, it, you know, I think that the therapist that I was seeing at the time definitely should have delved a little deeper. To be fair to her, my uh, mood swings at the time did did really look like bipolar. But, you know, to be careful 
you need a an extensive assessment um, process, you know? Yeah, no, I could agree with that. I've um, I definitely have had a few experience with doctors who they're just you're just like another case on their workload. They don't really have the take the time to get to know you. And I mean, even with my primary physician who is not related to mental health, like you just know when they have the the best bedside manner when they actually do take the time to care. They're not looking at their their laptop or their their scribbling notes or they're having their scribe or something like that, and and they're kind of pushing out the door. So. And it's kind of thing, exactly. I think it's kind of like we might be sneaking ahead, but it's kind of like a, a gut thing. Like, you know, when somebody actually has an interest, uh, a real interest in you. So I'm really glad we can kind of open up the, the, the today's show talking about misdiagnosis and really how common it is and how it kind of breeds this mistrust, because I'm sure so many listeners out there can really feel like, hey, Heather, that's me, too. I can totally relate to what yep. you're feeling and how your story and just that mistrust. And maybe that's kind of maybe that's why it uh, kind of stagnates some people from getting help and, and furthering uh, and furthering getting help. And maybe that's sometimes a reason why I know I struggled for sure when I. Had a bad uh, had a bad interaction with a doctor like that. So let's keep it moving. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you one more question. Um, so we, I think we kind of touched on this. How did you feel when you received your misdiagnoses? What kind, so this is this this is the question I really want to know because I want to do this on a positive. Even though you're misdiagnosed, what kind of steps did you take to really advocate for yourself and uh, seek out maybe a second opinion? Yeah, this is a really important question because that's that's what you're going to have to do um, when you are misdiagnosed and when you're not getting better. Um, and what I did was um, initially I stopped um, all treatment once I realized it wasn't working and my depression was actually getting worse. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I, I did stop medication and I stopped seeing a therapist, although I wouldn't recommend that necessarily. But what I did to kind of help myself eventually, it took quite some months to kind of come out of the depression. But what I did was to, um, I researched a lot of mental health disorders to try to kind of find, okay, well, what could I be if I'm not bipolar, you know? Um, so I would recommend, honestly, I use Med Circle on YouTube mm -hmm. and they are really helpful. Like they have real doc, like professional level doctors that come on there and they will talk about the disorders and explain them in extensive details. So um, it can be just kind of a pastime thing that you can do. That's what I was doing at the time. I was working and then kind of watching, you know, listening to YouTube in the background, um, just kind of learning more and more about it. So educating yourself is definitely like number one. Um, and then number two would be to set up an assessment. So if you don't have mental or uh, medical insurance, you definitely want to, you know, get on Medicaid, whatever you can. Um, if you do have insurance, you know, go through that and set up your appointments. I would set up multiple appointments. That's what I did um, just to kind of hope for the best and look for, you know, I'm trying to find a good doctor and that might not be so common. Mm -hmm. um, that sounds kind of bad, but it's sometimes kind of true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's what I did. I just uh, researched. I set up the appointments for assessments and then you need to take the reins and say, Hey, I'm here for an assessment. You know, you need to be the person that's telling the doctor what to do because mm -hmm. a lot of times they will kind of push you around and that's not what you want. You want to really advocate for yourself and say, this is what I want done. I'm, you know, I'm taking the wheel here and that's what I did. And it, I, it honestly had really great results because um, I think I saw three different people. And by the third person, I really lucked out because I found an amazing therapist nice. who instantly uh, she just, was listening to me and she, you know, she's actually the one that initially, uh, diagnosed me last, last week with, uh, BPD. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the path that you want to take is educate yourself, you know, uh, set up an assessment. And then I would say, you know, go to therapy, 
that's definitely a good plan. Find yourself a good therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, if you, if that's something you want to do, um, it's not necessarily for everyone, but I definitely recommend it. It's helped me a lot. Um, and then like, as a side note for the other thing that I did was I kept going to DBSA depression, bipolar support Alliance, because that's a free resource that's in every, it's actually nationwide or is it, I think it's worldwide actually. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. I hope it, I hope it's, yeah. Yeah. I hope I'm wrong and it's worldwide. I think, I think that it is. Um, I'm pretty sure. And so that's really a good resource for you right there is just to talk to other people in in that um, environment, somebody who might know something different from you. And that did help me a lot as well, just to connect with the community around me about the issue. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm in the mental health community and mental health space. And it's like, I, it, it just comes up in conversation. That's kind of what I put myself out there as. And, and I welcome it. I always welcome conversations if people on Instagram or anywhere, just slide in my DMs and things like that. I'm always willing to share, but so many, I get so many people who are like, I just don't trust doctors. Uh, I do my own research. I go on Google. I go on the, I read the DSM four. I read Wikipedia. I read, uh, well, well, can you drop that, that resource on YouTube? That, that sounds like very interesting. You kind of can kind of go on a deep dive. It was pub. It was a uh, med circle on med, YouTube. Yeah. Med circle on YouTube, all those resources. I think that's really the first step yeah. of advocating for yourself and then just bringing it, bring, grabbing it by the reins and say, Hey, I've been doing my research doc. This is what I think I have. You're not the only one I'm seeing. I'm shopping around. But if, you know, if two or three of them saying the same thing, maybe just get you to that kind of settling into that ground of three. If you, you know, you're shopping around for a therapist and they're all kind of saying similar things, it really be, makes sense. And I'm so happy to hear that you found, uh, you click with the good therapist because therapy is really one of the biggest tools in my toolbox that how I handle my mental health right now. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for touching on that one. Yeah, uh, of let's course. Keep it rolling. So uh, let's see here. My next question. What kind of, a, in your experience, like what, so what kind of impact does having a misdiagnosis have on a person's mental health and their overall wing? Is it, is it a, I'm assuming it's a very negative impact, but uh, maybe you can kind of touch on this one. What kind of impact does a misdiagnosis have on an individual? So yeah, we, um, an earlier question was uh, a little bit similar to this one. So we kind of touched on it already, but mm-hmm. just to kind of reiterate that, um, it really, to me personally, I think it's damaging. Um, cause it, again, it can just traumatize you into having more distrust. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone's not taking the time for you, it's just, yeah, it's a little bit disheartening and it can make your situation worse. So again, that's why you need to self-advocate, but it, I would say it has a pretty on a borderline personality disorder person. It definitely has an extreme, um, impact, negative impact on us. Um, and I would say it does for al- almost, I would say almost everybody, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. I, I thank you. Yeah, we're going to go through the questions that we kind of prepared for the interview. And I'm glad I hope it bleeds over. But I definitely like taking these moments and pausing so people can really get the message to get it clear. So I believe yeah. we're on to question number four today. Um, what changes have you made in your life since receiving an accurate diagnosis? Oh, wow. So I just got the diagnosis of BPD, borderline personality disorder a week ago. So um, I'm just kind of starting out on my journey here, mm-hmm. but I've already made some pretty dramatic, um, changes. Uh, it's, it changed the way I, I think about how to react to my own disorder. Um, when I found out about that, I am BPD or that I, ha- that I fit the criteria for BPD mm-hmm. because now I'm on the lookout for a lot of um, symptoms of BPD that can be pretty destructive. So I'm more vigilant about catching myself before I Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-destruct. 
what are maybe one or two examples? I know that probably it's more in depth than that. Maybe some common symptoms of uh, borderline personality disorder. So, gosh, BPD is um, kind of a little kind of complicated, but I would say I, I can just tell you like a few of the symptoms off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, so the main overall core val- core belief that a BPD person kind of holds and that they kind of base their life around is a fear of abandonment. So this impacts, I mean, every single relationship, work relationships, this just impacts like pretty much your entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the other, some of the other symptoms would be, there's something called splitting. Um, and it's, it's a, it's actually a pretty damaging symptom. Like it's damaging to relationships. So you have to be careful. Um, and it's actually, that's why I'm so happy I'm diagnosed because now I can be careful and I can actually, um, generate, you know, meaningful connections with other people and maintain them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of one of the things is splitting. And what it is, is it's with a BPD person. Um, what my understanding of it is, is that we at we tend to see things in black and white so with people we do the same thing so you might have someone who's really close to you let's say it's a significant other and on one hand you'll think they're like the best person in the world and you're just you know putting them on a pedestal and then on a, at another time maybe they do something that makes you feel hurt uh it could be something small and you will suddenly kind of switch on them and suddenly they will you will see them as like this negative person that you don't want anything to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it can be complicated because you're having these thoughts. Like, even though I knew I was diagnosed and I knew it last weekend, I had those thoughts and I had to kind of uh, talk myself through them. So it can be really kind of, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's manageable and it's, and it's something that you can get better and better at doing uh, at helping yourself but it definitely is something where uh, we need therapy for sure <laughs> to help us along the way. Yeah. Um, and then another symptom I can just mention here, let's see, there's splitting and the fear of abandonment. And then, you know what? I'm totally spacing on That's okay. other ones at the moment. I feel, I feel like that kind of really just uh, almost explained it to me like I was a child at that kind of level. Just keep it simple. I'm, yeah. I, know, I know we can yeah. probably go into deep dive and really get into the nitty gritty of it, but um, it's pretty interesting with the BPD and I'm, I, I too, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you just got diagnosed recently. I think that's just one of the biggest, biggest, you know, first step you'll take, um, and to managing yeah. it. And yeah, it seems like it now it's kind of bleeding over into your daily activities and your relationships. You're more mindful and just more aware of, um, those things and be able to catch it in time. So kudos yeah, congrats exactly. to you for being, I don't know, <laughs> I want to say this in the most positive way, but congratulations on your diagnosis. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. The, you get a, a little trophy in your hand now. So um, next question up here. So what advice maybe would you have for others who success, who, who are listening? They're like, you know, I think I've been misdiagnosed with a mental health condition. Um, what kind of advice would you give to them? Maybe they're often probably struggling to find the support they need. Honestly, the first thing I would say is to find a local DBSA group. If you can, mm-hmm. that's what helped me honestly the most, cause it just kept me going. Um, so again, depression, bipolar support Alliance, and you can, look that up on Google. That's actually what I did. Um, I was just looking for local support groups. That's probably honestly like the number one thing. It helped me a ton. It's free. You don't have to deal with insurance. You don't have to be on the phone, which is sometimes really, 
like hard to do when you're depressed and you just can barely, you know, get out of bed kind of thing. Um, so it's nice and easy for you to just find the meeting, go to the meeting, get yourself in the car, you know, just do it. It does help you a lot. Um, just to be able to share the air and get some information from other people that are similar to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the second thing, um, research, education, educate yourself. Third thing, again, um, set up, I would set up an assessment and then, um, just don't wait until you find that right person, um, that's going to help you, whether it's a doctor, therapist, um, practitioner, whoever it is, definitely make sure that you find the right person, the right fit for you, someone who you trust and trust yourself and trust your gut because you know you the best. So yes. that's what I did. And it, it has not let me down. I have not let myself down. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wow, that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, um, nice. I'm, so happy to, I'm happy to hear you, hear yourself hear yourself saying that out loud. You haven't let yourself down. You're doing great, Heather. Right? Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say just just kind of follow those steps, and you're gonna get out of it. You're gonna find something that's gonna work for you. You're gonna find a doctor, find a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Peer to peer support group, educating yourself, and then that last that last kind of tip is just finding the right doctor, finding the right therapist. So exactly. Let's go, let's go ahead and slide into CPTSD. Um, can you describe what it's like to live with this uh, CPTSD? CPTSD. So CPTSD is complex post-traumatic disorder. Um, it's, so I know everyone's heard of, you know, PTSD. Mm -hmm. So post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, we always think of vets, um, you know, in war who have seen war and they have PTSD. Um, PTSD also is something that affects like it's funny because the effects of PTSD and CPTSD can be also be seen like on a brain scan the same exact way as it can be seen for like a war vet. Mm -hmm. So it's really the same thing. If you've had a really, you know, rough childhood or some experiences that have really messed you up, PTSD, it, it's the same as you might have, you know, been in Vietnam or something. It's like the same brain scan. I'm, I'm not going to say it's the exact same you know, experience. Definitely not. But um, it's interesting that the, the damage to your brain is shown as the same on a brain scan. So I just think that's interesting, but Very. also, um, living with CPTSD, um, I mean, a lot of people live with this. It's very common, but what I would describe it as is your nervous system is just on high alert. Like you're just always, you're almost just ready to go at any point in time. Um, so unwiring that is a process. It is difficult. You can do it though. Um, and my therapist, she described, uh, some of the, the CPTSD or PTSD, um, to me as like your amygdala, the part of your brain that protects you mm -hmm. and reacts in danger. That's actually the part of the, your brain that is in control like all the time though. So it's problematic because you need to work, you need to calm down, you know? Yeah but you can't calm down because your brain is hardwired for your amygdala to be like in control. And what happens is when the amygdala is in control, your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain that makes all the rational decision-making and um, it also regulates emotions. That part of your brain, it's not really working because the amygdala is like on charge, yeah, <laughs> in charge. So it's just really problematic. But yeah, personally, me as living with CPTSD, 
it's pretty exhausting. Like it can just kind of take it out of you, like socializing, you know, working a normal person's energy level is much, much higher than someone who has P CPTSD. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought it up. I actually got diagnosed with a uh, PTSD this past, I'd say eight, eight or nine months ago. Um, kind of, kind of this time or a year ago in the fall. Um, and I, I too was like, I too was in my session. I was like, well, isn't that for people who are like coming from war or things like that? And they're like, no, no. Like, I guess I can kind of spill the tea. Like I, I've been arrested. I've been hospitalized. I've been in jail and some of those things all through manic episodes, you know, not to the doing on my own. Yeah. Luckily I've been able to um, kind of overcome those things, but they still play a traumatic role in my life. And I know a lot of our listeners live with those things like just a traumatic hospitalization or they had a manic episode where unfortunately it led them to uh, run in with the law. Like in my case, it happened to me and I was, uh, I was stuck in a 23 hour, uh, I was stuck in a cell for like, you know, 23 hours a day on, on lockdown by myself, isolation, then one hour out of your cell and things like that. And that, because I didn't have money for bail, which that's a whole nother topic about the whole bail thing. Um, and here in the United States, like I, I was stuck there for yeah. like nine months and was on suicide watch myself and in the hospital and, you know, just throwing temper tantrums, couldn't talk to my family, couldn't hug anybody, didn't have the help I needed. And it really was, it really was traumatic. Honestly, I just, I, I really feel like that played a bit, a, bit, a big pivotal role in like what I do now and kind of my feeling, fulfilling kind of my purpose right now with this podcast and the people who I work yeah. with for my personal training business. But yeah, PTSD is, it's no joke, but luckily I was able to find in my experience something called cognitive processing therapy or CPT. I think it's about 12 to 14 organized sessions. There's like an actual book or booklet or packet. You can Google CPT and probably find the packet there. But at the very, very beginning, um, you list your stuck points. So like a stuck point for me, for example, was I am a violent person. Um, I, I will, uh, another stuck point would be, I'll never be able to take care of myself. And some of those stuck points and those beliefs, like because they're hardwired into your brain, you just, it's really hard to overcome that, but through, through the process. And I encourage you to follow up if you're interested in just Google CPT cognitive processing therapy. It's really beneficial. It really comes miles. And now in the very last session of the CPT, that's when you come back and revisit those beliefs. And then you're just like crossing them off left and right. Like I for sure know I can wow. take care of myself. I for sure know I'm a, I'm a good person, not a violent person, but you're just so close to the, so close to the trees. You don't really see anything. You don't really see the whole forest right there. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's whoa. I didn't know about that. Like any of that. That's wow. Yeah. I, I actually have the really packet. happy you got out of there. And I'm also happy that you mentioned that because I, I didn't know about that therapy tool. Me neither. I had no it's idea. Really cool. I, I remember literally sitting in my doctor's office or my therapist's office and she jumped off, off her couch. She grabbed the, the diagnostic uh, manual, the DSM five or I think they're off the DSM five now. And she just was like, I think you're PTSD. And then I read it and I was like, yeah, actually that makes all makes a lot of sense. I show him all the signs and symptoms, especially since I've been seeing this therapist for months now and it just kind of clicked and And boy, do I feel better now that I've been able to kind of own my shit and just get, get through it and really tackle it on. So, um, I'll give you the packet. Yeah. I can, I, we, we're lucky enough that we see each other here locally in Reno, Nevada, the DBSA meeting. So I can give you the packet yeah, and talk about that too some more. I'd actually like to to check that out yeah. because it sounds like it's a really useful tool that mm -hmm. it's kind of like CBT, like cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's not, it's like, I like the way you said it was like a, uh, done in a section yeah and then yeah it's like it little sounds, worksheets little packets every week you just have like almost like a homework assignment that's how that's how the 12 14 weeks would just be like we're, right, we're on worksheet number 10 have this have your homework done and then we'll, then we move on to worksheet 11 and it all goes in sequential order but it really isn't the name it's cognitive processing therapy it changes the way how your brain processes the trauma and how you really function that's awesome i love it mm -hmm. um it's funny because a lot of these things therapy all these tools a lot of them can also pretty much I would say almost all of them can transition into your confidence and that also impacts your, 
you know, your work, um, career, whatever it is that you're going towards in your career, that's definitely going to help you in that way. So even if you don't have a mental disorder or mental illness, um, you know, it's like super helpful mm -hmm. just to, to do it in general. Absolutely. Yeah. I look forward to sharing that information. I'm glad we kind of were able to touch on that. Yeah, please um, do. Yeah. So you've had PTSD or I'm so sorry, CPTSD. Um, how have you been seeking help or treatment for that? What's, what's kind of been effective for you? Have you found anything that's been effective for you? Like I maybe touched on the CPT for me. What have you found that's effective for you, Heather? So, um, yeah, I have actually been being treated for this. Um, it's interesting cause so I went to my therapist to get an assessment and this took four months before last week when she, uh, told me I meet all the criteria for BPD. Um, however, before that she was actually treating me for CPTSD. Um, and we were working mainly, uh, with the, what, the one thing that's worked well for me, the best is the breathing, the breathing exercises, because especially, uh, focus breathing, um, basically the way the body works, you kind of have to tackle trauma from the body to the mind. I don't, I actually don't know why this is. I just know that this is, you know, that's what she says and that it does work because about two months in after doing my breathing exercises, um, I realized that my body was naturally regulating my emotions at certain times. Like not all the time. I still have to work hard, like super hard. It's not going to happen all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is the beginning, beginning of my journey. Um, so I would say for, for me personally, definitely the breathing exercises, it has been a huge help. And then also the cognitive behavioral therapy, um, worksheets that definitely helps as well. Cause then you can write down your thoughts. You can write down and see, um, you know, is this a rational thought? Does this, you know, is there evidence for and against this? And it's, yeah, it's a mm -hmm. worksheet that it does make at the end, like it helps a lot sometimes, but it kind of depends on like the situation at hand and what, what it is I'm like freaking out about yeah. and which tool that I want to use. But I like the breathing the best. That's been the most helpful for me. Nice. Yeah. I'm glad. So excited. Like your therapist sounds like a great therapist. They're really giving you like, you know, tangible, yeah. actionable items or tasks to do to really kind of break through that. So that's, that's excellent. And breathing. Um, I'm looking forward to learning more about that. We're going to have a, uh, another guest here. I think in next month of Vilma, she does like trauma informed yoga and um, some of those things. And I think she's, I'm looking forward to that episode. I'll share that with you and Wells and maybe connect you. She actually passed through one of our Reno DBSA meetings and she, you might've met her at the suicide walk. I'm not thinking maybe too. So. I actually did. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to her for a little bit. Oh, really? What, so. so you got, she got, she was kind of sim similar message, similar vibe kind of in those, in the how breathing can really play a crucial part in control. Um, we didn't, we didn't actually talk much about that. Oh, okay. Um, it was kind of, uh, I had, we had some people at the booth and stuff, so I was a little busy at the time, but I'd definitely love to hear what she talks about on your pad podcast because yeah. that that's going to be super helpful. I'll keep you in line when I get prepared for that and uh, maybe yeah. answer some of those questions. So yeah, we're off to a great start this episode. I feel like we're, we're, we're just chock full of throwing stuff, throwing stuff at people right now. So this is awesome. So, um, I want you to maybe touch on stigma. I have a quite a, quite a long question, but hear me out with this one. So the stigma surrounding mental health can be a barrier for many seeking treatment. Could you speak to your own experiences with the, with this, with dealing with stigma and maybe offer any advice for someone struggling or feeling ashamed and stigmatized? Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, I definitely felt quite a bit of that myself as I think almost everybody does. Um, you know, I was raised on, can't talk about your feelings that unless it's happy or, you know, this or that certain ones that are easy to deal with, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we've all been kind of taught that, that main um, incorrect 
way of thinking. And we have to kind of break through that. Um, but the most important thing is don't care about other people's opinions because those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. Nice. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. Um, it's a good quote though. You know, it really is true. It's like, don't worry, don't waste time on other people's opinions. Just focus on you. Keep going and do what's right for you. Get the help that you need and just follow your gut. Yeah. Say that one more time. I love that quote. Those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. Beautiful. Yeah, that's that's a little mantra for today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see here. So there is some research out there that suggests that trauma survivors often experience physical symptoms as well as emotional ones. Um, have you noticed any physical changes or symptoms related to your CPTSD? Oh, gosh, there's a lot. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've struggled with um, in a, to a massive extent is disassociation mm -hmm. um, and then also memory loss, um, which, to be fair, could also is also attributed to a lot of weed and alcohol that I smoked and ingested when I was for a lot of years. So mm -hmm. that's to be I should include that. But as but even when I was a young like teenager, I still had like really extreme memory problems mm -hmm. and really extreme disassociating problems. So for me, those have been like some massive things that I like had to manage and they're embarrassing to be honest because people will be like, I already said that to you. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I must've been on planet, you know, cloud nine or something. Yeah. Uh, so I still struggle with it, but it's getting better as I'm in therapy. So that's, that's good. And yeah. then, um, I guess another thing I noticed since I've been going to the gym lately is bad posture. Like I just kind of have a naturally bad posture from it. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of like the main physical things I can think of at the moment that really affected. Yeah. Um, and what I do for, you know, the disassociation and the memory loss is obviously I stay like I stay away from uh excessive alcohol and I stay away from weed completely because that one just really gets uh, my disassociation and memory loss. It makes it even worse. So just stay away from that one entirely. And then honestly, mindfulness is really helpful. Like just staying present, reminding yourself to stay present because that's when you, you know, that's the opposite of disassociation. So you can actually remember what people are saying because you're being present. And I think that's really the difference that that uh, that needs to happen there, basically. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, that's kind of was the second part of my question was kind of how do you cope with some of those physical things? And I think through through breath work, through through talk therapy, through seeing your doctor, and um, we love to hear that on the Lifting with Bipolar podcast. But in the weight room, you know, I think that's awesome. You're able to kind of yeah be present. It's really hard yeah. to focus on other things when you're doing your uh, when you're doing your heavy lifts and things like that. It's just a great mindfulness. That's it's true. Just, it brings you to your breath. A lot of those things. That's why I'm a big proponent of exercise. It doesn't have to be just lifting weights. It can be, can be yoga. Can be walking. Can be anything that just uh, centers you and, and brings you to so what's right in front of you. So beautiful yeah. stuff so far. Um, let's talk about our loved ones. Like those are those that are surrounding our lives, our friends and family. So it it is important for loved ones to understand and support those living with CPTSD. Um, for those for those loved ones out there, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to support a friend or family member with this condition? I would say be patient, be, um, you know, be patient with us and, um, slow down, like slowing down is like a good 
plan. I don't know. This, this may be kind of a random um, suggestion, but for me, it helps if people are kind of like s- slow down around me because at being someone who has, you know, PTSD, CPTSD, you're so super vigilant and you're kind of waiting for the ball to drop. You're kind of, you're like waiting for someone to yell. You're waiting for something to break. You're, you know, it's kind of, that's how you feel. So when someone is kind of more slow and like patient, it just really gives us the ability to be able to predict, you know, what's next, which is what we're always doing all the time in our minds when we have, like, when we have PTSD and CPTSD, we're just kind of like, trying to predict the next moment to survive. Mm -hmm. But when someone slows down and they have patience with us, it kind of gives us like energy and relaxes. And I just, I feel like that's, that's what I like. (laughs) So I would suggest that. Yeah. Just being a real calming presence when somebody's really already going through a difficult time mentally, you can't really see it physically, but their, their mind, I know in my experience, yeah, it's been helpful. I think you, you shared a great tip just, just to be patient. Just, I remember with my friends and family, it, I, it's, I can't be the most person to be patient around, especially when I'm manic and some of those things I can be wearing pretty thin. I'm pretty irritable and not my, not my brightest side, but, um, it is still a part of me. It's still, a, you know, who, what I, what I live with, but yeah, I think finding, finding friends and family who can practice patience just goes tremendous, plays a tremendously positive impact on you turning around and really, um, living or living your best life. So great stuff on on cptsd i'm really glad we kind of have a similar story it's we both seem to be pretty newly diagnosed with it but yeah. it just it just just kind of clicks and kind of makes makes sense of a lot of the past you know at least for me and my experience so it really does yeah yeah our last topic for today is going to be on bpd borderline personality disorder uh heather can you share with us a little bit about your experience of living with borderline personality disorder so i kind of mentioned this in the beginning um but borderline personality disorder, my experience with it. Um, so like I said, I kind of mentioned in the beginning, it can, it can be extremely debilitating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really chaotic. If I was going to describe like a scene of what it, ha- what it has felt like uh, living with it throughout my life, I would say if it feels like you're like swimming in an ocean and it's a storm and you just keep trying to like, keep yourself afloat and like you're just trying to grab a breath of air and then sometimes like if you hit a real depression streak it feels like you're just completely drowning and like overwhelmed um and it's just the the instability of moods like you can't control it and um the impulsive behavior is just wild like you can't control that um you know without help and also the fear. It's just such an underlying fear in the disorder that it's just a fear of abandonment, a fear of, you know, I, I live with fear, like, man, it's so embarrassing because it's like petty fears, but Mm -hmm. it's just so extreme and debilitating. It's like fear of eviction, fear of someone breaking up with you and the fear of abandonment. Like I mentioned earlier, that is massively, um, destructive. (laughs) So just living with all those, that's kind of like the overall feeling and like, factors that kind of affect have affected me and affect other people who have BPD. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's pretty debilitating to be quite honest. Yeah. No, I mean, if it, once it happens to you, say you've been evicted or, you know, had your heart broken before and then it just kind of for us, uh, for, I mean, for those, it sounds like out there a little bit, BPD really um, kind of burns in the brain, that memory. And it's really hard to, to get, to get over that and to think it's not going to happen again. That's exactly it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. 
it just kind of sticks with you. And then each new, it feels like you're stubbing your toe on everything. And then it just keeps getting worse and worse as you get older. Mm -hmm. That's kind of why I finally got help at 33 Mm -hmm. is because I'm like, okay, I can't live with like, I tried to like kind of live with it for so long. And then, you know, for so long, I just actually didn't know how to get help and didn't have money and didn't have insurance or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I was unable to get help, but yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's got to be a better way out there. There's the same no way to live. So I'm really glad that you're um, taking it by the horns and and advocating for yourself and making progress for you. So thank you. Yeah, um, you too. Is there anything? So it sounds like I'm kind of maybe repeating myself because we've kind of touched on things. And um, but just to reiterate for maybe somebody who's jumping to the timestamp in this question, is there anything that you found helpful in managing your symptoms with BPD and like how do you cope with some such intense emotions and mood swings? So, um, it's only been a week since I've known of the actual diagnosis. Um, so I'm still learning these things. Oh yeah, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that helps me a lot is it's really the same tools as I'm using for that. I was taught for CPTSD or PTSD. Um, it's really the exact same tools. It's mindfulness. It's breathing. It's, um, it's just, for me, I'm realizing it's a little bit extra because I am needing to be pretty vigilant about monitoring my thoughts and like catching the splitting and catching the thoughts that come in and going and kind of second guessing them. And one thing that helps, um, like I have, I actually have found a medication that works for me. And it's interesting because since I started taking that medication, it's given me like three seconds before I before like I like blow up Mm -hmm. and that's actually just enough for me to go and think through it and go, hold on. And before that, prior to that, I wasn't able to do that. So yeah, I'm kind of, it's like medications helping. Um, again, I'm starting out my journey. This is pretty, this is pretty recent. Um, but the focus breathing, you can just never go wrong with mindfulness and focus breathing. It's just always going to be something that helps everyone because BPD is really in an extreme trauma. Um, Disorder is essentially what it is. It, 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 they, it is believed to be biological to a certain extent, but it's m- actually mainly believed uh, to be traumatic, uh, traumatic experience of life and that it just kind of, it sticks with you. So it's yeah. something that all the same tools that you would use for PTSD and CPTSD are actually the same for BPD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think with my therapist, the way she explained it to me was, which made sense. It clicked. It was just like, so you have like, you have your stimuli over here, you have your response over here. And right now they're like really close to each other. What we need to do is we need to practice by maybe say, for example, writing out your thoughts, some putting it on paper, seeing those thoughts, seeing those feelings, and just kind of create more distance between the stimulus and then how you're going to respond. Just that little gap, even if it's just a three second gap can be huge and, and really changing everything. So it, yeah, it can be. There's one tool that I use that's called, um, Well, I, my therapist called it curious scientist and you're basically, you know, you're, it's, it's a kind of like a mindfulness tool because you're just kind of watching your thoughts float by, you know, you're just relaxing and you're thinking, you're thinking through your thoughts and you kind of just take that curious mindset. Like, I'm not going to judge my thoughts. I'm not going to say this is a bad thought or a good thought. It's just a thought that's happening. And it really does create that detachment enough for you to not act on what the thoughts are that are coming through. Mm -hmm. Don't label those thoughts as good or bad. Yes. That's, yeah, I think we, I think these therapists might've gone to a similar school or maybe they're they're in in a roundabout way. I like the, I like the curious scientist thing though. I'm already picturing that in my mind and 
and maybe get a little stuffed animal or something like that and put it in my bedroom. Like, this is the curious scientist. <laughs> and, I don't know, like, thing like that. That's, that's another You got to put some to... glasses on him, like yeah, a I'm monocle. Of, like, uh, I don't even know, like a uh, Rick and Morty type guy. I don't know. Uh, maybe a Marty McFly. Back to the Future. That's probably my favorite movie. I like it. That's I like, like it. The, oh, man, I, I could watch Back to the Future like over and over again, but maybe uh, with the doc just being the curious scientist. So. I was just jamming out to like that that song in the beginning of that movie oh, <laughs> the really? other day. Yeah, yeah, it's like the Power of Love song. Yes, where yes. he's like skating. Yeah, I oh, love man. I love that movie. Classic eighties montage. Yes, mm-hmm. love it. Wow, we touched on a lot of great stuff, uh, Heather. I hope to get you back on the podcast in the future again and just kind of check because you're only one week in your BPD disorder. So, I guess our last question for today's episode is maybe uh, we kind of talked about the past, but let's talk about the bright future that um, that you have. What are some some goals you have for yourself in terms of your mental health? So I have goals that kind of are in every like department, you would say Mm -hmm. department. I don't know. Um, like physical health goals, mental health goals, you know, basically some from every, you know, kind of zone I'm going to keep doing the focus breathing. I want that to be like just continuous so that I can really just channel a calm mind (laughs) as much as possible. Um, and then, um, also the mindfulness, like just basically keeping up all the same things that I'm doing now, which it's actually pretty hard to keep up this level of it, especially, um, once I go back to work, I'm not currently working, but I will be working soon. So to maintain all those things to eat better, to work out, um, make sure that my sleep routine is on track. Like you really want to get that full eight hours at least, um, because that can really affect your moods a lot. And then also, um, to be able to walk the middle path in DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, we talk about walking the middle path and that's seeing things in gray rather than black and white, Mm -hmm. which is really how they really are. Um, And just being able to maintain relationships and friendships and to be able to avoid my symptoms um, interfering and and causing me to self-destruct. Yeah. So yeah, just basically everything all around want to maintain and just do better. Excellent. Yeah. Just that whole, uh, kind of wheelhouse of being a holistic approach, being your best self, having professional goals, career goals, having physical health goals, having mental health goals, having financial goals. I, I too kind of try to make sure I have all my, uh, all the spokes in the wheel covered and and strong just to make, make sure I'm the strongest, uh, best, best possible Jonathan I can be. So I love that. Heather, where can, uh, where can people maybe find you? I know we're going to maybe put this on uh, social media, on YouTube and some of those things like uh, what is maybe what's your handle and maybe where can people connect with you if they have questions about uh, BPT or CPTSD or what's your, uh, what's your Instagram name or something like that. Maybe they can find you. Uh, let me look at it. So I'll go ahead and drop this in the show notes as well, like a hyperlink and things like that. But it's really just trying to build this community, people connecting um, doesn't have to be, in our own backyard it's you know this is a worldwide international podcast we have listeners in australia um, listeners yeah. in the united states so it's just wonderful to connect with other people who are going through this so my instagram is heather lynn tatiana lang okay um so if you look that up uh you can add me on there message me i'm happy to answer any questions i don't know everything but i will absolutely help with whatever i do know mm-hmm. um so feel free to message and add me on Instagram. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Heather's got a big heart. She's got a lot to offer and, uh, she's doing, she's doing great things. I'm so happy to see her progress. So, yeah. So, uh, thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. We'll kind of close this one out about the 50 minute mark. So a nice little short, sweet, uh, episode. Maybe if you were just on the gym, 
doing some cardio or maybe you're in the car ride. But yeah, just appreciate you guys tuning in. If you have a chance, please leave a five-star review. Every review helps and counts. So thanks again, Heather, and we will have you on in a future episode. Thanks again. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it. No problem. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Lifting with Bipolar. Stay connected with me directly through jonathancharco.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at jonathancharco. As always, thank you for pushing your mindset and heart towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to please leave a review of the podcast as well as subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, be kind to yourself and each other.